Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Made in Chattanooga. This is episode 7 of our adventure saga. Just kidding, but yeah. We are your hosts today. My name is Maurice Armo, and I'm an account executive. And I'm Kate, and I'm a copywriter. Uh, this week we have with us Lon Eldridge, a DJ known by DJ Passe, um, as well as Chris Cummings from Pass It Down. Um, we thank you all for joining us, and we're going to kick it off. All right, so first up we have Lon, and we're super happy for you to be here. Yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Awesome, thank you. Uh, so when did you first start playing music, and specifically guitar? Well, I, I grew up in a musical family, so music was kind of all around me. My, my dad plays a little guitar, my mom sings. Um, but I didn't pick up the guitar, I guess, until I was about 13. Thir- I'll be 32 in June, so... Um, I've been playing guitar longer than I have not been playing guitar. Right. That's awesome. What kind of guitar do you play? Uh, like stylistically or? Uh, like actual guitar. Oh, okay. Well, usually I, I play one. It's a uh, steel-bodied resonator guitar. Ooh. Yeah, so it's made of steel. So you can say I, I play heavy metal. <laughs> Sweet. I, I, know, I know that question was coming later, so I just thought I would clarify that. But, uh, Got that out of the way. No, I, I play uh, like blues guitar, ragtime, swing, but uh, the guitar itself is made of steel, so it's quite heavy, and rather than it being like a hollow box with strings attached to the front, it's it's got like a cone inside that kind of acts as like a, a megaphone. The strings sit on that aluminum cone, and then it amplifies it mechanically. So it was, it was a style of guitar invented in the, the 20s. Oh, awesome. Love it. Um, so you play a lot of like bluesy ragtime music. What drew you to that early 20th century style of music? Well, all through high school, my best friend and me started, you know, some really typical, terrible high school bands. And we were really into uh, like 70s rock, 60s and 70s rock. But also like the bands that we started were more like influenced by like grunge rock of the 90s, <laughs> like Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Stone Temple Pilots on and on and on but about that by the end of high school I kind of I was like well where did this music come from where did rock music come from and uh, I was working at a summer camp at the time and the maintenance guy played a resonator guitar Ooh. like the one that I own now and he played old blues like Sunhouse, Buka White, Robert Johnson and it sounded so familiar to me but so foreign at the same time and uh so my question was answered through that, you know. So I got into blues and ragtime and all the peripheral genres um, by kind of exploring the roots of rock. And, you know, rock and roll, or uh, blues had a, a baby, and it was called rock and roll. <laughs> That's so. a good way to put it. So for the public consumption, um, we have to know, what were some of these uh, band names in high school? Oh. Mm. Uh, my personal favorite to this day, mm-hmm. um, it was the abbreviation was Ed for short, E D D, but it stood for eleven dollar donut. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, what was the inspiration for that one? Oh man, I don't recall. My my friend came up with it, and we all just liked it. But I, I'm really hoping that was probably. The, I hope that was the best donut he ever had for eleven dollars. Yeah. Can you yeah. please name your next album eleven dollar donut? Well, we have to adjust for inflation, I think, so it's probably 13 or 14 yeah, by, by now. that's true. And yeah, with, with urban prices the way they are. so That's true. And was there, uh, what's the second best one that you can recall? Uh, see, this one, is, this was actually a great band name, and uh, it was called Lightheaded Folly. 
I like kind of poetic. Yeah, yeah. I dig that one to this I'd day. I'd listen but, to that. And yeah. if we, uh, you know, type up MySpace, will we find any records of uh, songs from these bands? No, I've, I've, uh, I think all existing recordings are on physical media. So locked away in an archive, never so, like, to be heard from tapes? again. Yeah, there was some CDs in there. <laughs> so we need cassettes. to do a little uh, infiltrating into your home. Reconnaissance, to, yeah. Got it. I have it all archived. Okay. We're going to move the whole podcast to your house so we can just listen. <laughs> remote broadcast. Yeah, remote broadcast. Listening session. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so one thing you're known for is collecting 78s. Mm-hmm. Uh, why 78s? How did you get into collecting those? And well, what are 78s? For okay, yeah, know. yeah. Some people might not even know what 78s are. So what we think of as records, most people think of as records, are LPs, which stands for long play, and 45s, which are the little ones with the big hole in the middle. Um, but before there was vinyl, there was shellac, and that's what records were made out of. So it was very tough and brittle material, but if you dropped it, it would shatter. Um, vinyl solved that problem, uh, but they spin a lot faster at 78 RPM, and that's why they're called 78s. And so that was the dominant music format from the dawn of recorded sound up until uh, the 50s when they came up with vinyl. So I collect all that music because the music that I love, that's the original format it was released on. And so it's kind of like the closest I can get to those artists because a lot of them, are, most of them are gone now. So um, it's kind of the closest I can get. And what do you play these on? Well, it really depends. But most of the time, if I'm just listening casually, I have a, an electric turntable in my room. But uh, I also collect and repair, maintain the uh, wind-up phonographs. So they, they require no electricity. It's like winding a pocket watch. So you wind tension on a spring and then you take the brake off. <laughs> it has a brake, not like an on-off <laughs> switch. So you turn the brakes off, and that turns the turntable and releases the tension on that spring at a given rate. And uh, then you drop the reproducer down, which has a little steel needle that you replace every two songs. <laughs> oh, wow. So I order needles by the hundreds. That's high maintenance. Yeah, it's, it's very high maintenance. But uh, the sound is something that can't be replicated digitally. There's just this certain je ne sais quoi about it. Um, so, and then that runs down the hollow tone arm and out a horn, which amplifies it. So there's no speakers, there's no electricity, there's no, you know, anything like that. It's completely mechanical. That's as raw as it gets. Mm-hmm. And how hard is it nowadays to find any of that? The records you can still come by fairly often at thrift stores and things. Finding good ones is the trick. Um, but the, the players themselves are, are getting pretty scarce, especially the old ones. And cylinder players also, but that's a whole other can of worms. And do you own basically half of what's left out there? <laughs> I wish. I wish. But I've probably got like, I don't know, like two to 3,000 discs in my collection. Wow. So ranging from 1901 to 1959. 
I'm imagining a walk-in closet that is like secure with multiple locks, pressure, lasers, <laughs> and temperature Retinal gauge. scanning. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. what I was imagining was, you know, the scene in Beauty and the Beast where Belle goes into the giant library at the castle and she's just in awe of all the books. That's what I'm imagining except with 78s. Yeah. I, I guess it's kind of <laughs> like that. Maybe if I don't shave for a few days, I'll start to <laughs> look like the Beast too. Uh, oh, my goodness. So you've got an alter ego that you've created, this DJ Passe. Mm-hmm. How did you come up with this character? Well, I was trying to come up with a DJ name. It's not a, a big fancy story. And I just I wanted something that that rhymed with DJ that rolls off the tongue. And then I also needed something that meant old fashioned or vintage or you know, out of fashion. And so Passe borrowed from French for um you know, just that, gone by, old-fashioned, uh, irrelevant, <laughs> passé. That's so passé. Um, so I, I chose that as my DJ name, just because it rhymed and it, it fit, like, what I do. Mm-hmm. And where can we see and hear DJ Passé play in town? Well, I've just started a regular Wednesday night DJ session at American Draft, which is probably the coolest venue to do this at in town. Um, It's inside a fully restored passenger rail car uh, right behind the choo-choo lobby. So there's the steam engine back there, and this is the car right behind the steam engine. Oh, nice. So what uh, what inspired you to to create this partnership with uh, American Draft? Well, I went down there just to really see the bar, and uh, because I'm always looking for cool new spots. Uh, with, you know, a great beer selection, and that fit that criteria. So I went down there and got to talking with Dakin, the owner, and, uh, yeah, I, it just came up in conversation. He was like, wow, that would be really cool to have in here. And uh, I've been looking to have a regular DJ night for years and just haven't had the time or the venue. And it's just kind of all those factors intersected, and here it is. Yeah, that's great. Um so do you have any new music or albums or anything in the works? Oh, I'm about to have a new album out. Ooh, insider info. Yeah, yeah. So this is pretty exclusive info. Um, I haven't released any information about it, uh, but it should be released in the States um, in like June or July. I'm releasing it in Europe first because I recorded it in Holland. With Casual. Yeah, with a with a Belgian harmonica player. His oh, name is okay. uh, <laughs> his name is Steven Troke, and uh, he's really great. And so I'm going over in late May, and we're doing a we're going to release the album in Europe first. Tour behind that for two or three weeks, maybe a month. It's we're still booking things, um, and then when I actually get back and have time to press it here, uh, release it, have a whole release party. Now, do you have difficulty getting through customs? I'm just wondering. Like, I feel like someone would question, like, what's what's going on here? Like, what's all this stuff? <laughs> well, sometimes the guitar gets funny looks when it goes through the. Because uh, I always, I never ever check my guitar. Never. No, <laughs> don't do it. Because if that happened, that would just if if something got broken, I would just be, I I would be done for the whole tour. Um, but yeah, I get some funny looks and I always like to watch it go through the metal detector, the, the scanner thing. And just set it and, off. And then I watch, I watch the reactions and the head scratching that goes on when they see, they're like, oh, that's, 
shaped like a guitar, but it's not made out of the same things that guitars are normally made of. And it's got this wire running through it. So yeah, I've, my, my guitar has gotten the pat down much more than I have. <laughs> so do you basically have to give a history lesson every single time? Oh yeah, yeah. I used to play violin and I used to travel with it just to go see family and I same experiences all the time. I always got pulled over because like no one traveled with a violin. Yeah. So do you find that, so you mentioned that you're going to release your new uh, album in Europe first um, and then come back to the States. Do you find that between like overseas and here, like there's a bigger draw towards what you do and towards that um, love for that era and that type of music? Yeah, I've found that what I do has a much larger viable market in Europe. I think it's because I'm exotic when I go to <laughs> Europe. You know, like in America, it's like, oh, you're an American. We're Americans. You're playing American music. We hear American music a lot. But in Europe, it's, it's, they have a real affinity. They, uh, they really jones for the American roots music. Um, and there's not a lot of Americans coming over to do it. Yeah. If they are, they're playing like huge festivals and things, but I'm still playing like pub shows and house concerts and some festivals and all kinds of things. Um, but I found that universally, like there's a bigger market for what I do in Europe. Yeah. Do you have any favorite cities that you like to tour to? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So most of my network's in Belgium and I really like Ghent, Belgium, okay. which is in the the northern region in Flanders where they, they speak uh, a dialect of Dutch. Interesting. So do you like to stay in like the smaller cities or do you hit up like Paris and Berlin and all that too? I've, I've done London and Brussels and bigger cities and I, I tend to like smaller cities, you know, something like the size of Chattanooga, maybe smaller. Um, and also I was raised in the country, so I like the small villages too. Last question, I think. Mm -hmm. How long does it take for you to do your mustache every day? Well, it's kind of <laughs> short. It's kind of short right now. So this takes absolutely zero time. Um, but when it's, you know, got another inch or two on, on each end, you know, it takes like, depending on how good of a hair day I'm having, like <laughs> 10 or 15 minutes, sometimes longer. Got to get out the, the hair dryer. Oh, and yeah. All kinds of tactics. High maintenance. So in one sentence, how would you describe your passion for what you do? My passion for what I do? Well, I really like, I would describe myself as one part entertainer, musician, um, and then another part historian, archivist. Um, and I really, I've always been passionate about musical performance, but beyond that, I like to tell the story and I like to share the history and make the music come alive for people and not just play music. It's like, I like to present, hey, this is why this music is great. Awesome. You're going to play a couple songs for us today too, aren't you? Yeah. Awesome. What are you going to play for us? Hmm. Well, I'm going to play a new one that I kind of come up with recently. It's uh, called Blue Amberall Blues, and it's a super nerdy thing about collecting Edison Cylinder records. Okay. But what you need to know is that the thing that plays Edison Cylinders was called the Amberola. That's, ah. that's the chorus of the song. That's, so, yeah, it's a blues song about that. And then the other one, I haven't decided yet. So okay. we'll see. I'll just right. pull it out of my back pocket. <laughs> well, before we let you go and record, uh, we like to – it's a tradition that we 
take from our office and come to the studio with. Uh, for anyone who visits us, um, we at, we challenge you. It's a condiment ch- challenge, as we call it. Um, and what it is, so five fingers here. Um, what condiment would you put in each finger and keep for the rest of your life? Because once you're done, we're going to laminate it. And if we laminate it, then it's permanent. So you're saying I could squirt condiments out of mm-hmm. each of my five fingers? This yep. is a weird world we live oh, in. Oh, man. On one hand, though. On one hand. Okay, uh, definitely. Um, oh, where are we starting? We're going to start with my thumb. Mm-hmm. Got to have some ketchup. Okay. Then does sauerkraut count as a condiment? You a know, condiment can be whatever you'd like it to be. So we'll, I've seen we'll still it. judge you, but. Okay, yeah. all right. So I'm going to go with sauerkraut okay. on my index finger. And then. Um, my middle finger would be uh, hot sauce, spicy for the middle finger. Uh, my, <laughs> my uh, man, I don't know. I don't use a lot of condiments. So let's go with uh, like a a, fri- a frite sauce, like a Belgian style mayonnaise okay. for fries. Because mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, the pinky, hmm. Pickle relish. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. I no, like it. I take that back. I recant oh. the pinky. Mm-hmm. We're going to go with spicy brown mustard. All right. So are we laminating? Laminate it. Press Done. it. Done. Locked in, permanent. It's in history. So it is said, so it is written. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for being with us. We cannot wait to hear the songs. Right on. Thank you. Set my needle down in your groove You know what it is that I wants to do I want to wind your amber roller Don't leave me cold in hand I wind you so easy I ain't no two-minute man Oh, I played a Graftonola Victrola too but they don't play it like your amber roller do, honey. I don't wanna wind your amber roller. Oh, don't leave me cold in hand. Girl, I wind you so easy. Let me be your four-minute man. Cylinders long, so nice and round. 
It's a perfect fit for the spindle I totes around Let me wind your apple roll on Don't leave me cold in hand Girl, I wind you so easy Let me be your four-minute man Can't read your future in your palm I 
can't tell what it is you're thinking By gazing at my crystal ball No, not at all Oh, I'm like a waffle You're just like spaghetti My thoughts are really awful But yours are like Mardi Gras confetti Honey, that's, that's why I love you That's why I want to please you Cause baby, I just can't read your mind All of the time no, honey, I just can't read Read your mind So, honey, take your time Welcome back to episode 7 of Made in Chattanooga. And now we have Chris Cummings with us here today. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on the show. How are you feeling today? feel pretty good. You know, it's been a good week and it's Friday, so no complaints here. Good. Um, what would you say, um, I have a friend who always asks people this question, what is your word of the day hmm. or your word of for the year? We can go with whichever one is easier. You know, it's uh, going to be a, a little biased here, but I would say storytelling is probably our word for the year. I see what you did there. Just a little bit. Um, but we're really excited to have you um, on the podcast today, and we appreciate you taking time on your schedule. Absolutely. No, thank you again. Yeah. It's uh, We're big fans of VaynerMedia and the work that you do, and um, any group that really appreciates uh, media and storytelling and uh, just how do you bring stories to life. So you are the CEO and founder of a company called Pass It Down. Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So I started Pass It Down in um, 2015 to really designed to help families collect and preserve their memories. Um, unfortunately, my mom got sick. My mom had multiple sclerosis. Uh, she was diagnosed at a super early age with it. And then she developed early onset dementia in her mid-40s. And so, you know, I'd grown up helping take care of my mom, and I became my mom's caregiver when I was 18. And it was somewhere through the process of taking care of my mom that I realized I was running out of time to get to know my mom's life. Um, I was never going to have a chance to get to know my mom's stories. Who'd she go on a first date with? What advice would she, would she give to me or to my brother? And uh, I was struck whenever I went to find a biographer by how expensive biographers were. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't have a biographer in a phone, in a pocket, and like in an application to be able to make it possible for anyone to do this because I didn't have $5,000. Okay. Um, and so from that, what was like, where did you go? Like you, you had that, that connection, that story attached to it and seeing this need, was it a simple and easy start or was it like a rough patch to like take this concept that seemed like, why doesn't this exist to bring it to life? No, I mean, I would say, um, you know, I first thought about this in 2010 and then my mom passed away. And so I put the idea away for three or four years um, I needed time to figure my stuff out, uh, so to speak, and uh, I finished up law school and got my law degree and started practicing. But um, I was, one, struck by how often I kept thinking about this idea and kept meeting families with older relatives and thinking that they needed something like this. And then, two, um, I had built a successful technology company before, and that itch to do so again had kind of come back to me. So in 2015, I learned about Chattanooga. I had an opportunity to relocate here when I shared my idea with the accelerator here locally, and they really encouraged me to pursue it. 
And I had a, a really good law mentor who reminded me that the law is not going anywhere, <laughs> and I could always come back and be a lawyer, and uh, I could probably catch up on 10 years of constitutional law in about a week worth of reading. So I decided to make the leap. And, um, you know, when we began, I sat down with some of the world's top oral historians, and I said, can you just teach me about what you do? And it was just really interesting to learn about their methodology, about what is the proper way to sit down with someone and to be able to get a story and to be able to make a person feel comfortable. And I asked them, why do we not see technology like this or what's wrong with the current solutions? And so we really took that methodology and started applying it. And the interesting thing is we had a lot of success doing it with families, but we, what we never expected was that there was a whole other world of communities that really needed this technology. And so last year we started looking at licensing our technology to cities and communities that helped them capture their stories too. Awesome. So what has been um, recently some of the exciting projects that you all have gotten a chance to work on? Absolutely. So you had Corinne Hill on the show a couple of weeks ago. And um, so the city of Chattanooga and the Chattanooga Public Library came to us at the start of 2017 and said, what would it be like if you could bring our entire city's history to life? What if we could rethink the way that cities tell the story of their city? And so we were, uh, we went and kind of decided do we want to take the leap to do this, so to speak. And um, what we realized is that our local history, the good parts and the bad parts, are really important, but no one today really knows that local history. Most of it hasn't been digitized, or if it's digitized, it's on a very, very old school website that is not mobile optimized, and no one gets a chance to enjoy it. And so we wanted to create really the first platform designed to highlight what makes each city unique. But in addition to that, what we realize is that history up to this point has only been told through the voice of one person or one group. And uh, we were shocked when we found out that the archives of our communities uh, are not diverse. So like there's a city we're working with where it's 33% African American. The city archives are 99% white. Every city that we have spoken with has the exact same problem. Oh, that's interesting. It's incredibly interesting, and it's shocking. I mean, what we've realized is that our communities have not preserved minority history. And we're not naive enough to think that we can fix this overnight, but what our hope is is by creating a platform where the community can crowdsource their history, and they can go and say, here's my story, here are my photos that are in a shoebox under our bed. Maybe we can chip away at this problem because our communities have done a terrible job on their own of doing this. Make it more accessible. Absolutely. And more diverse in viewpoints. Every, give everyone a chance to say, here's my voice. Here's my story. That's awesome. So random fun question. Is it a requirement of your team once like someone joins your team um, to, for them to start collecting their own memories and um, establishing like their own history? I would, wouldn't say it's a requirement, but what I would say is that the people we have found on our team all are storytellers. I have an appreciation for it. So there's an incredible storyteller and podcaster on our team. I don't know if you know Mary Helen Montgomery. She's our lead storyteller, and um, she's done an incredible job in helping craft the stories that we create for our communities. Um, but everyone that we attract, everyone has that person where they wish, I wish I had sat down with my grandma. I wish I had done this with my uncle. So what does storytelling mean to you? Um, I'm assuming this this word and concept has developed over time for you um, to like increase on the, the, the passion that's attached to it and the memories that are attached to it. So like for you today, compared to 
five years ago, what does storytelling stand for for you? I think what I'm struck by is the simplicity of storytelling, not its complexity. And I think the problem is that storytelling has become a bit of a buzzword. Everyone says, oh, I, we help tell stories, or we're a storytelling agency. But very few people actually understand what storytelling can be. Um, Robert McKee said that storytelling is the most powerful way to put ideas into the world. And the reason I think that's true is that when we first told stories, it was before we could write. Storytelling was literally our way to survive as a people. We told stories to pass down our knowledge to our kids and to future generations because we wanted them to learn what we've learned and to survive. And so I think when we tell stories, what we're really doing is going back to our original form of communication. And it's one in which we as a people lean in a little bit more and we listen because it is, it's wired into our blood to want to listen and love stories. So if someone is interested in being a part of this process for their own families, like what do they have to do to, to start that off? Absolutely. I think that, um, you know, for us, we have found the easiest way to help families tell stories is to provide them with questions. And the reason why is it's the same problem if you've ever tried to journal. And you're like, I'm going to journal this year. And you open your journal and you stare at that blank page and you have no idea what to say. Oh, it's so overwhelming. Yeah, you just put the pen down because you're trying to say, what did I do today? And I think it's because when we remember our life, we don't remember it in days, we remember it in moments. If I were to instead ask you, what was your childhood home like? What did it smell like? Can you close your eyes and tell me about your elementary school or who was your favorite teacher? All those questions spark memories and things in our past. And it's a lot easier if you're leading with questions mm -hmm. to get people to tell stories than if you're just trying to say, hey, go out and do this. And so our goal is really to provide people with those questions to spark ideas and make them feel comfortable in opening up. So would you say that you are partly in the business of nostalgia? I guess you could say nostalgia. What I would really say is just helping people to remember the special moments in their life and what makes our life unique. Um, I think we all have those moments in our lives. And my, grand, my great grandfather was famous for saying his worst ink pen's better than his best memory. Because as much as we want our memories fade. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so what are you most excited for for 2018 and beyond for Pass It Down? I think when we realized how much local history is being lost for cities around the world, our entire team found a mission that united everybody, and we got really excited about it. I think when we realized that people know less about their local communities today than they ever have before, and we noticed the massive problem with diversity in archives, we were really inspired to think we could fix this. And we looked around and we realized no one was fixing this, and that we have a team of people that love storytelling and technology, and the combination of those two things together gives us an opportunity to save the world. So, I mean, our mission is literally to save the world's history. And um, we're working with several communities and in talks with several others about doing just that. And if we can do that and even take out a little piece of it, it's the greatest thing in the world. Awesome. So is there a story that you have had the privilege of helping um, put together and collect that's stuck with you since starting this? You know, there's, there's a million. I think the best thing about my job is people coming up to me going, oh, I remember sitting down with an uncle uh, one day and just asking him about his life or his story. And so we've really had an opportunity. I would say more um, than a particular story, it's been seeing 
people um, who have been affected by this in a way of like, hey, my dad just had to go into hospice. Can you help me? And then being able to come and say, thank you. I have all those moments I wouldn't have had otherwise. I think that's the best part. So have you become in your day-to-day a better uh, conversationalist? Um, Because you mentioned how when it comes to helping families um, where to start, it's asking questions. So have you noticed like when you are interacting with people, may it be strangers or those who you are close to that you're finding that your conversations are deeper or you're asking more questions? Well, I'm not sure. How is this interview going? Is it okay? <laughs> <That's good. laughs> um, no, you know, uh, funnily enough, the um, the first oral historian I sat down with was is this awesome lady named Jennifer Kramer. She runs the T. Harry oral the T. Harry Williams Oral History Institute at LSU. And when we sat down to talk about the methodology behind oral history, she said, "Well, this will help you with your business, but more importantly, this will be the best advice I ever give you for your marriage." Oh, wow. And. What it was is that the proper way to tell a story is if I ask you a question, I have to sit there and fully listen. I can't ex- think about the next thing I'm going to say to you. Um, if you say something interesting, I shouldn't interrupt you and go off on a tangent. It's just to be able to sit down and fully listen. And that listening is really something that people struggle to do with today. It's like one of the lost arts. And I think more than anything, it's been learning how to listen and how to, to fully engage. And I think by its very nature, that helps you have better conversations. Listening is just as important as everything else. I don't know why I said that. That was supposed to be profound. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all had that moment where you get really excited to say the next thing. And, uh, and, and so you kind of like half listen to somebody, but really you're just ready to like pop in with that, like, oh, well, guess what, this. Yeah. So how many cities are you all currently working with? So we will be launching in three cities, okay. uh, some of which I can't say yet, and mm-hmm. we're talking with about 15 others. Okay. And is this mainly focus? like, is your focus for this company within the United States? Are you all thinking of going internationally or? Some of the cities that we're uh, speaking with are international, okay. actually. Awesome. And um, the other interesting thing is we've had a lot of businesses come to us actually licensing our platform as well. Um, because there's a huge need to document business storytelling and culture. And so we have two businesses internationally, uh, one group in London, one group in Australia that we work with to be able to document their business stories. Sweet. So here's a fun one. Um, And I'm not sure if you met your wife before or after you, I guess that should be the first question. Did you meet your wife before or after you started um, Pass It Down? I met my wife um, after I started Pass It Down. Okay. So how did you explain to her, maybe the first or second <laughs> date, on like, this is what I do? <laughs> um, you know, it was interesting. Um, my, my company is so related to a big part of my life with what happened with my family and my mm-hmm. mom that I think it was just a natural element that came out through that. Um, but my wife is a, a singer, um, and that's what she studied, and so by her nature... Um, I think she loves the arts, and so she had a, a big appreciation for it. Um, although I did have to convince her that I wanted to leave my job as an attorney to go start a company with no uh-huh. chance, with like very little chance of success if you're looking at the numbers for startups. And I was like, "Are you cool with this?" She's like, well, "I think so." <laughs> I didn't tell her fully what it was like. You know, I'm, I'm curious as to whether or not she'd still say that was a good idea a few years later. But she uh, she trusted me enough to to be a part and support me. Awesome. So. Is it ever too early to start collecting memories? No, no. And, and, and to go back, actually, 
I'd had the idea for Pass It On, by the way, before I met my wife. I talked her into like taking that idea into a reality after I met her. Um, but no, it's never too early to start collecting memories. Um, I think we have to remember that life is a precious thing and we never know how much time we have left. And I think the biggest problem that we see in terms of people not recording their memories, so the reason I have so many people come up to me saying, I wish I had done this, not I had, is because um, it's one of those things we push off. I think that people don't write wills for the same reason. We don't like to think about the idea that someone could be passing away or someone could be dying. And often when we think, I need to collect memories of a loved one, what we're really thinking is I need to do this because they may not be around forever. And unfortunately, even though that should be more of an impetus to do it, it becomes less because we're, we would rather hide from it. So what would you say is the first step for anyone listening to start recording and collecting memories um, in the best form? Absolutely. Well, I mean, we would obviously love to be a part of it. Um, although there are a lot of uh, great options and great companies or organizations out there to do this. Um, you could check out our website at passdown.com and uh, we have a lot of great resources for it. But I think more than anything, it would be looking for those questions. Um, and that's one of the things that we really focus on is on providing questions to people to be able to uh, make that process comfortable. And it's also finding the right environment to be able to do this. So it's, um, you never want to, um, how do I say this, surprise or do this secretly. I've had a lot of people say they've like hit the record button and hit their phone from their grandma so she wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, but you want someone to be comfortable and you want them to know like this is for you to be able to leave your legacy and mm -hmm. to leave your mark on the world. And that's important. Awesome. So two more questions for you. Um, I had a friend challenge a group of us one time um, out at a meal to do this. It was kind of tough for some of us. How would you, in a few words, explain to a kindergarten class what you do and what you're passionate about? Absolutely. I think if we were to sit down with a kindergarten class, um, it would be um, to ask them, how much do you love to hear like your mom or dad's voice? You know, how much do you love to be able to go see your grandma or your grandpa? And uh, would you want to be able to, to, to sit down with them and just uh, record them on camera? And I, I think stories are really more about those special moments, right? Like just being able to hear someone's voice is a powerful thing. It doesn't matter what they're saying, just hearing their voice brings back all those memories. Yeah. And so I, I think I would just keep it simple. Awesome. So we have a tradition um, in our office, especially here in Chattanooga, uh, for any visitors that um, come into our oh, office. No. And we, we brought it to the studio um, where we ask a question. I'll pass it off to Kate to lead the charge. So <laughs> imagine that out of each finger on one hand, you can have a condiment coming out of each finger. Okay. What five condiments would you pick? Which finger would they come out of? And those are what you get for the rest of your life. For the rest of my life. Yes, they're laminated. Once we say laminate, it's done. And so we, we're just talking, are spices included? It is up to you. We've had a lot of debates in our office of interpretations of what a condiment actually is. So we do not want to cloud that judgment for you, but also we will still judge at the same time. Okay. <laughs> um, being that I'm from South Louisiana and I have a sassy Cajun grandma, mm. um, I'm going to start with like cayenne. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll lead with the thumb for cayenne. 
Um, I will, I guess it'd be cheating to say peppers or something like that or to do the, the holy trinity uh, of flavors. Do so it. I'll make that a condiment. Okay. Um, you know, uh, mayonnaise is pretty essential for things. It's, you know, some mm. people find it kind of gross somehow, but like you kind of need mayonnaise in the world. Yep. <clears throat> and um, no? Mm, yeah. Or, or, yeah. <laughs> Slight gagging, but slight, we're fine. Slight gagging. <laughs> we're fine. Is, is there any is there any alternatives for you in the mayonnaise world? Uh, we won't. Mm, we won't even go there. We won't even go yeah. there. Uh, cumin and um, rosemary. Ooh, unique. Is it? All right, now I'm not combining all these at once, but they're no. just my five options. No. I don't think we've ever had anyone have that many spices and herbs. There could be a malfunction. They all could, you know, come out at the same time. But yeah. <laughs> They're, 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 I don't know. They're a little more interesting than the sauce, I guess. I, yeah. There's, there's different. There, there may, there might have been someone, I won't say who, who wanted to um, have steak bits <laughs> yeah. come out of their, oh. yeah. So, you know, like we said. See, they were pushing the lines way more than me. I was, uh, as, as my wife would tell you, I'm overly literal. So <laughs> I, uh, I was like, food, yeah, spices, I'll count. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Chris, we appreciate you taking time out of your schedule um, and talking with us today and, yeah, just challenging us to think about storytelling and to collect memories um, in a positive way. So Absolutely. Thank you. thank you again for uh, letting us just kind of share a little bit about what we do. We really appreciate it. And we thank you all for listening. Um, this is episode seven of Made in Chattanooga, um, and we hope that you all stay awesome and collect stories.